1: I'm also found at Kate Campbell AUS on Insta.
0: And I'm Owen Rask AU on Insta.
1: Just beware of the fake accounts. We'll never DM you about trading strategies or crypto. And if it sounds a bit weird, it's probably not us.
0: And just one final heads up before we get into the show. This podcast contains general financial information only. Owen, what's been happening in the market this month? Well, Kate, there's been a lot of things happening, but also not that much. Mm. Not that much to be worried about, to be honest. Same as ever. Same as ever. Title of Morgan Housel's book. I can see a cheeky smile on your face. (laughs) I know what you're referring to. Uh, Yeah, so this month's kind of economic and portfolio update for folks. This is the second installment.
1: Yeah, we had a lot of really good feedback after our first one last month. So we're going to try again. Mm going to update you on what's been happening over the past month, what you need to know about, what you... Could know about but don't actually need to do anything about and we're going to talk a little bit about offset accounts and bonds as well.
0: Yeah, so uh, every month we're going to bring you an update on all the things that, you know, all the headlines that you read, all those macroeconomic updates, so things like what's going on in the economy, what's going on with the USA, China, Europe, what's going on with the Australian dollar, why is it up, why is it down? We're going to try and answer all these questions and basically give you an update in say 20 minutes or so of what you need to know if you're an investor or you're someone who's saving saving toward a goal and try and give you action points to go along with that. So you can actually just be calm throughout this kind of like uncertainty that is always present in the in the stock market. It's always present in property. Everyone has an opinion. Everyone has a forecast. People that are paid to make forecasts don't really know what they're doing. And yet they surface to the top of the news reel. So we're going to try and bring some sense to your kind of long-term investing and help you remain calm under pressure, but also bring you some insights.
1: Yeah. And if you listen to the November market update, which will be linked in the show notes, Owen gave you, an overview of what's been happening year to date.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so what about this month though, Owen? What's been happening in the last 30 days?
0: Yeah, yeah, sure. So um, I will just add some, just one quick thing before we get to this, Kate, which is that um, for anyone that is a member of our RAS Core service, um, you'll be able, there's a link in the show notes, you can join, um, you will start to get more updates going forward, not just from me, but from the team. Uh, as we bring you more ETF research, more company research, more economic research. Uh, so there are some analysts working with me on that. And so you can become a member if you want to invest better in 2024 and beyond. But uh, the reason I mentioned that is because some of the things that we might talk about in this will reflect what changes we're making in the portfolio. At the time this goes live, they won't be updated inside the, the member community, but they will be in the next few weeks as we head into 2024. Members will know that last year, this time last year, I made a few changes to the portfolio. Um, Probably a bit complicated to explain right here, but I made changes this time last year because I think at the end of the financial year, if you're an ETF investor, and the end of the calendar year are two really good times to sit down and actually reflect on your portfolio. And so you can use this update that we're about to give you for December, um, including figures for the year to date at the time of recording, so you can see how those changes might play out in a diversified portfolio. Okay, with that said, um, it's interesting how this month went across the major stock markets, but also the other types of investments. Let's start with something that's not in the notes, which is property. Um, because of the bizarre, sometimes wonderful, sometimes deeply concerning, world of Australian property, property markets have actually performed really strongly. And that's surprising because people thought interest rates would cripple the housing market in Australia. That was the first thing. And secondly, a lot of people that know the property markets thought that springtime would be really hard on the Australian property market because what happens in springtime is people get their houses ready to sell. There's like this old real estate kind of like myth that the best time to sell is spring. It's because you've come out of winter, the house is starting to look good, the weather's improving, and people start to make decisions to sell their property. And while we've seen houses come onto the market, we haven't really seen any negative news. So it's probably the opposite of that. The property prices have continued to go up um, to the dismay of many people and to the chagrin of, I guess, renters and everyone else impacted. Property owners are having a good time, but they're paying more on their mortgage. So in terms of the stock market, the best performing stock market of 2023 so far, and probably is going to be for the full year, uh, is the NASDAQ 100, which is the most traded basically 100 shares on the NASDAQ stock exchange. It's up 4% for the month. I'll come back to the minute. The S&P 500, which has 500 companies, so a bit more diversified, and it also includes banks. Uh, includes like resources companies, it includes materials companies, it includes manufacturers, a lot more of that type of thing. That's up uh, 4% for the month as well, but also um, 19% for the year. So less than half of the NASDAQ 100. The the two most popular ETFs to track those markets, NDQ for the NASDAQ 100 from BetaShares and IVV from uh, iShares. My numbers don't include dividends, by the way. Um, the ASX 200, meanwhile, is up 1.8% for the month and 2.6% for the year. Again, not including dividends. So there'd which be some.
1: Quite important for the- There'd be
0: probably 3% in dividends, maybe mm-hmm. 4% in dividends. So it's not terrible, but you're probably looking at a total return for the ASX 200 or ASX 300, which would be um, the VAS ETF for the ASX 300, STW for. Um, ASX 200, IOZ for ASX 200 or A200 from beta shares, those ETFs, uh, you're looking at probably a total return so far this year of nearly 7%, but it's still tiny in comparison to those US uh, markets. Importantly, too, the US markets are in US dollars. So if you were, these, I've just got the indices, so like the actual just percentage returns, but if you were investing in the United States stock market, your return would be better because the Australian dollar for some people has also fallen this year. So it kind of amplifies your return. A lot of people don't think about that. We're doing a, uh, I was doing a presentation recently where we showed that if you just invested some money in the US and some money in Australia, by having two things that are both risky investments so to speak, your your risk actually drops because you've got two different ones and your return improves because they've Mm. performed differently. Whereas most people think Like imagine it would be like making a recipe. And if you added a different type of salt to your meal, it becomes less salty in flavor, but it also improves the flavor. It's like, how could you have both from doing the same thing? But that's what you can do in finance. You can actually have US shares and Aussie shares side by side, and it lowers the risk rather than increasing the risk because it's just a whole thing about correlations. Um, Now, the reason I wanted to start with those three is because a lot of people think when something goes up, it must come down. So like you throw an apple in the air, it comes back down. Gravity. That's not how the stock market works. And that's been proven over 100 years. It
1: might get stuck in a tree for a while.
0: It might get stuck up there for a while. It might go sideways. It might go down for a few years. But what we see, particularly from the United States stock market, is that over the long term, it continues to go up. And so does the Aussie market. Even the Japanese market, which went sideways for like 20 years, has finally started to show signs of growth again. The reason is is that the companies inside the stock market are doing more and getting bigger and solving more problems. And a lot of people that listen to this show will be invested in the VGS ETF from Vanguard. VGS is a great ETF and I wouldn't sell it if I owned it. However, it's not my preferred ETF for international investing because I think it gives you too much of things you may not necessarily want. Um, That's why I prefer the IVV ETF, the iShares ETF because it only invests in the top 500 from the US. And that's been apparent this year. VGS has still done very well. But I think the IVV ETF gives you exposure to Americanism, um, like the American exceptionalism it's called. And so I think investors, as they sit down this year and they think about where do I allocate my international shares, I think you've got to take a good hard look at the two US. Uh, kind of like markets, like the Nasdaq and the broader S and P five hundred. I prefer the S and P five hundred. Um, those are the companies that are really taking on the world. But here's the thing to keep in mind: is when you measure the value of the stock market, a lot of people just look at the price in Google or broking up, and they go, "Oh, look, it's gone up. It's really high right now. I can't keep going higher. It must be overvalued." That's their kind of intuition. It goes up, must sell. It goes up, it's too expensive. Well. The reason that the U.S. stock market has outperformed basically all others in the past 30 to 50 years is because the profits of those companies have gone up faster than any other market. So, and that's reflected in the price earnings ratio of the entire stock market. So in the United States, the NASDAQ 100 market, if you think about it as a separate index, that's up. that's got a price earnings ratio of 22 times. So that means that the share prices compared to the profit, it's 22 times the yearly profit figure. Lower sometimes means cheaper. In the S&P 500, which is 500 companies, they're not growing as fast as those big tech stocks, but it still includes some of those tech stocks. That's 16 times. Now here's the kicker from this. The ASX 200 is also about 16 times. So basically what I'm saying is you could buy the S&P 500 or you could buy the ASX 200 both at the same valuation. Mm. Now, if you look at 10 years, I think I know which one's going to grow faster. I think it's going to be the S&P 500. Um, Because in Australia, we favor dividends too much. We don't have the international expansion like many of those US companies have. It's just, you get more growth overseas um, for many different reasons. And I think just because the US stock market has gone up in 2023, I'm not saying it's going to go up in 2024, it could go sideways for like five years, I don't know. But over the long term, which is how I invest, I think if you don't have some exposure to the US stock market, you just got to. Yeah.
1: It's really interesting even just the makeup of the top 10 largest Australian companies. The episode we did recently Mm. and talking about how most of them are banks and resources versus the top 10 in the S&P 500. It's a very different type of company and the Australian ones are very Australian centric and then the US ones are global.
0: Yeah. Our global businesses are resources companies. Monique and I actually, I haven't mentioned this on the show, Manique and I last week went and interviewed the Chief Financial Officer of BHP, Australia's Mm -hmm. biggest company, and get this, BHP has paid the most dividends of any company in the world over the last three years. It has the biggest dividends in the world. Sheesh. Right? And you think about that, so it's a a massive company, even the boardroom is ginormous. But it is a massive company, about 200, 250 billion. It's in everyone's super fund. It's in everyone's ASX 200 ETF. If you're listening to this, you've been impacted by BHP in some way. There's no doubt. A wonderful, wonderful company, right? And so you think about that though, like it's paying huge dividends and it probably should, but to be the biggest in the world when Apple, uh, Amazon, Microsoft, these companies are like five or ten times the size in some cases, probably more. And yet BHP is still paying more dividends. And that tells you that the environment that we have here in Australia is to pay more dividends. And there's franking credits and dividend tax credits and all that sort of stuff that come with it, which is wonderful. And you can have that, but you can have your cake and eat it too and look abroad. Now, if we could zoom out a bit, over in the UK, the stock market was up 1% uh, for the month, down 0.5% for the year. The Hang Seng, which is the Chinese one, is probably the big outlier this month, down 7%, but 17% negative for the year. China's facing some issues with uh, sluggish economic growth. The property sector is going through a bit of a un- very uncertain period. Kevin Fung, our senior analyst at Rask, he's working on the Rask core service. Uh, you'll hear more from Kevin over the coming months. Uh, Kevin just returned from. China. He spent a few weeks over there with family on the mainland, but also in um, Hong Kong. And he's got a write-up there to discuss, and we'll be coming out with a write-up to discuss the similarities and the differences between the US and China. Uh, It was really, really interesting to hear Kev's takeaways. And he's done a separate write-up on kind of the biggest takeaways from his trip to China Mm -hmm. and what that means for investors. Um, But basically, you're seeing that like this is a market that is developing. The stock market is not as mature, and you see a big fall like this. Um, that's not to say, like you should probably have some exposure to it. VGS gives you exposure. There are ETFs that target these types of markets. But a lot of people that have too much exposure to China have probably found out the hard way that they shouldn't have done that. Mm. Um, now, this is probably—I'll I'll skip to some. These really quickly an ING savings account. I just used that because it was the one I used last month. Is now offering 5.3% as a sorry as a term deposit for one year. That's up from 5% last month because interest rates have gone up. So they've increased the the interest rate on the term deposit by more than the interest rates that have gone up. Uh, The gold gold is up 3% for the month or 15.6% for the year. Remember, gold does well when things are uncertain because people think, well, at least in a crisis, I could take my gold. I don't know about that. But anyway, Bitcoin was up 20% for the month in US dollars, 156% for the year. If you think gold is like volatile and uncertain, try predicting Bitcoin. Um, The Aussie dollar was up for the month and that's probably because interest rates went up. Typically the currency follows the movement in interest rates. So if you have Australian dollars versus US dollars and the Australian interest rates are going up faster, typically what you'll see is that currency go up. It's not always the case, but typically what you'll see, this is called interest rate uh, parity um, or interest rate differentials. What you see is money flows to the country that has increasing interest rates because they can get bonds and all that sort of stuff, assuming it's a good country like Australia is. Now, the, the key thing I've skipped over here, which is bonds, and it's what we're gonna focus on really quickly, so throughout the year on in our Investors Podcast, over that's the yellow one in your podcast player, the Australian Investors Podcast, we have been saying that the biggest move anyone could make with their portfolio, if they're a retiree or near retiree, is making sure they have bonds in their portfolio and not just any bonds, but government bonds in particular. Mm-hmm. Bonds have had a horrible time over the past, say, three years. The reason is interest rates have gone up. Bonds move the opposite direction to interest rates. We can do a whole separate session on that, but basically, if you think that interest rates are slowly going to fall from here or plateau and you're a near retiree, look at including bonds in your portfolio, government bonds, the two most popular ETFs in Australia for bonds, IAF, which is an iShares Australian bond ETF, and VBND from Vanguard, which is the global bonds ETF. They're my two preferred bond ETFs, read the product disclosure statement, speak to your financial advisor. Um, They're both included in our model portfolios inside Rascore and we will likely include more of them in the year ahead. The very simple reason that you would invest in bonds, particularly as an older person, is that you benefit when interest rates fall, but not only that, you typically get a high interest and consistent interest rate through time. And for the first time in many years, bonds are starting to look good. Um, and I'll explain why younger people probably wouldn't use them in a second, but just in this month, we've seen bonds go up 1.5% in Australia and 2.5% in the USA because interest rates in the United States are tipped to fall. Mm. Um, In Australia, we're seeing that that will probably also be the case. That people, Because the way bonds move, Kate, sorry to be really nerdy, but the way bonds move is not based on what happens here and now. It's what people expect to happen in a year. So, in a year, people are expecting that interest rates could fall, which is great news for people that pay a mortgage and for renters for that matter as well. But for other people, it's not a good idea. So, if you're a retiree, this is my key interest, my key takeaway for retirees start to include bonds in your portfolio, or at least think about it. Now, I know that can be overwhelming. Self-promotion, become a member, if you don't know what that means, and you can ask me questions in the community, and you can see how we're readjusting our portfolios. But that is what I would start to think about. Now, if you're a younger person, you don't necessarily need to invest in bonds. You might want to if you've got a more conservative risk profile, but younger people have the benefit, Kate, of using an offset account. You've got one. An offset account is probably a better option for a lot of people, with smaller investment portfolios and typically younger. The reason being, and a lot of people know this, but we received a lot of questions about this, so I want to be very clear. Instead of investing the money, um, a lot of people have opted to put more money in their offset account. An offset account effectively says, the bank sees it like this. Oh, when you have a mortgage of $500,000, but you also have cash of 100,000. So what we'll do, is we'll have the $500,000 mortgage, less the $100,000 that you have in your offset account, we'll only charge you interest on the $400,000. Seems very simple, but this is the magic of it. When interest rates are high, say like 6% like they are now, you're not just saving 6% if you compared it to an investment return. Remember on an investment portfolio, you have to pay tax. So you would have to pay tax on the gains and the income. Whereas if you have an offset account, you're not paying tax because you're not earning anything, mm. you're saving 6%. So the a very common way, rule of thumb, it doesn't, it's not perfect, but a way that I think about it is if you add 30% to your interest rate, that is the return you should expect to get from shares. Let's do this again. If your interest rate is 6%, you would expect that you would need a 9% return from your shares. So, I mean, 8 or 9% depending on your tax rate, but you would want something like that. So, in this instance, a lot of people would probably be better served by having a lot of money in their offset account and investing just a small amount to to maintain the habit.
1: I mean, Uh, that's certainly something I focused a lot more on putting money in my offset account this year because I haven't mm. had as much to invest and my mortgage rates have gone up. So, yeah. It has been good to have a bigger cash buffer just for whatever comes up in the next year.
0: Yeah, absolutely, Kate. And um, a lot of people have opted for this. And that's um,
1: where you can store your emergency fund. You can have your definitely separate have your emergency savings fund. accounts. That most providers will let you have multiple offset accounts. I know you once said you're allowed to create up to 100 with yeah, your- Yeah, I have
0: 99 with Bank of Melbourne. That's have- not a plug for Bank of Melbourne, but- <laughs> Speak to Chris Bates, our mortgage broking partner. <laughs> um, you'll find a link every week that we do an episode. There's a link in there that says mortgage broking. You can get in contact with the PLUS team and just ask them what's a good rate um, and get them to review your current situation. If, it doesn't, if they can't do a better deal, they won't do it. So that's available. That's our new joint venture on mortgages in the show notes. Um, but a good rate at the moment I was asking them the other day is about 6.25%. So if your mortgage is above that, go to the bank and ask them for a lower rate. There's no point paying extra interest, even if you have an offset account, it doesn't make any sense. Um, So, go to them. But there is a magical time when this all reverses, Kate. So, people, for example, that have a savings account right now, like say you've just, for some reason, you've got a lot of cash.
1: You might be saving up for a house deposit or a big holiday.
0: Something like that. You might actually be better served over the next year, assuming your goal is more than a year away, to start locking in some of those interest rates that you can get. Not all of your money, obviously, particularly if you need the money in the next year, do not lock it all away, but you might actually be better served from using a term deposit. Particularly retirees listening to this or people that have larger balances, start thinking about, can I maybe take some of the money they have just got in my savings account and put a few term deposits of different maturities, like six months, 12 months, two years. The reason is you'll typically get a slightly better interest rate from your term deposit but it also protects you if interest rates go down. Now if interest rates go up, you've obviously locked it in, you're a bit of a loser, but on the way down, you can actually lock in your interest rates, right? So that's the first step for people to be proactive. The second thing to keep in mind here is that if you are shrewd, and I mean like you wanna go the extra step is bonds will produce a better return if interest rates fall because not only do you get the interest payments, you also get the value of the existing bonds going up. So this is obviously investing now, we're not talking about saving money, we're talking about investing. So this involves risk. But using bonds in a portfolio is a very simple way to basically, you're effectively lending the government money, that's effectively what you're doing. And ETFs are the best way to do this by the way, because you get a whole basket of bonds and you're effectively allocating a small amount of your portfolio or a large amount if you're in retirement, and you're starting to allocate some of your portfolio, not all of it, to these bond ETFs. And as you put your money in, if interest rates fall, the value of the entire portfolio the ETF can go up. So if you look at the share price chart of an ETF, a bond ETF right now, it looks like it's gone back 40% in the last two years or whatever it is. It looks pretty horrible. But the opposite of that, not perfectly, can also be true. You can actually have the value of your portfolio go up as interest rates come down. Now, I'm going to read, I know we've pushed it over time, but I'm just going to read something here to close on out. This is um, for people that don't know, interest rates went up in November. And the reason was as follows. I'm going to quote, inflation in Australia has passed its peak, but it is still too high and is proving more persistent than expected a few months ago. The latest reading of inflation indicates that while goods price inflation has eased further, the prices of many services are continuing to rise briskly. While the central forecast is for CPI inflation, which is inflation, to continue to decline, progress looks to be slower than expected. Inflation is now expected to be around 3.5% by the end of 2024, and at the top of the target of 2 to 3% by the end of 2025. The RBA board judged an increase in interest rates was warranted today to be more assured that inflation would return to target in a reasonable timeframe. Now we are recording this, just as an FYI, we are recording this the day before interest rates are decided in December. It is expected by economists that interest rates will remain still, but you could assume the same thing. They may raise a little bit in December, which would be a bit of a headache for people coming into Christmas. My anecdotal evidence suggests that people are spending less in Cyber Monday, Black Friday, these types of things. But basically the RBA in Australia wants to get inflation under control. And the way they're going to do that is they're going to use interest rates. It's the only thing that they can do, unless the government stops spending money, which they seem to be just spending and spending and spending money, which is pushing inflation up. Um, So basically what this all means is that even the the central body here in Australia thinks that interest rates might be near the top. They're not saying it's at the top, but it might be near the top. So If inflation can be under control, you would expect over the next couple of years that interest rates begin to fall. That's the big takeaway from this month. It doesn't mean you need to go and act on it. It doesn't mean you need to go and add bonds. You can join our membership for like 25 bucks and see what changes we're going to make in the next month and ask questions inside the RAS Core uh, community. Just use the coupon code that's available in your podcast player. Um, In summary, Kate, We've seen over this year and over this month in particular that the US companies have still continued to dominate. A month is not long enough to make an investment decision. I've been thinking about making these bonds, the changes, over the past 12 months. And I'm finally thinking that I'll now make some changes to the portfolio. So don't go away from this episode thinking that you need to make changes to your portfolio. If you've got your plan, you've got your goals, you're speaking to your financial advisor, or you've made your own kind of you know plan for the future... Don't sweat it. It seems like this was a month like normal. We don't know what's going to happen with interest rates in Australia. If you're traveling overseas, the good news is that as interest rates go up here in Australia, we might see more purchasing power for your Australian dollar.
1: So good for travel.
0: Potentially.
1: If you've got any money left.
0: If you've got any money left after all these, you know, we've seen savings fall in Australia. uh, as people make their way through their savings that they accumulated during COVID. Um, But basically... It it seems as though um, the Australian dollar has stabilized, bond prices have stabilized, stock market is still going a little bit higher, Um, and the interesting thing is if interest rates fall, you'd expect them to still go higher again, so it's kind of like steady as she goes, and things seem more normal than before. There's still a lot of uncertainty in the world, there's still wars overseas, there's still a lot of people out there that are struggling, Uh, and we'll probably see more of them in the new year, particularly businesses. But the reality is you don't need to make wholesale changes right now, in my opinion. We will be making some changes over the Christmas break for our members. That's solely because we're looking three, four, five, ten years out into the future, Mm -hmm. and now is the time to make those if you're looking at bonds. Um, But in terms of the rest of it, it's just steady as she goes. Yep. So, sorry, it felt like a monologue, but um, (laughs) yeah, um, those would probably be the things. And if I could give you one Uh, piece of kind of like summer homework if this is your last update for the year is just review your super fund just go in there check to make sure it's got the right risk profile you've got the right investment option so i'm a long-term investor Therefore, sure for it should be high growth uh that's that would be that would be my only feedback
1: Perfect. Well, we'll have links to everything in the show notes. There's lots of courses for free on Rask education if you want to mm. invest into your financial education this summer. And we'll have episodes coming up across January on goal setting, mm-hmm. habits, money saving tips, ETFs and more.
0: Investing, you name it, it's all coming up. So if you like these updates, I think we are saying off air before that it's probably the, the biggest piece of feedback has come from the first e- installment of this monthly update. So, if you want us to do more, we're more than happy to keep it going in 2024. I love doing it. Um, But steady as she goes, let us know. Give us your feedback. Ask your questions. We're doing plenty of Q&A in 2024. After January, like after January, we're going to come back and do a lot of Q&A. So, let us know. Kate, as always, thanks for joining me.
1: Thanks for listening, everyone.